welcome again to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there tuning in with us today. We've got a number of you that are right regular listeners, and this program has been a blessing to you. Go over to establishedinthefaith.com and uh, contact us. We'd love to hear from you as well. You can subscribe to the podcast by various different means. You can get us now through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. And if this podcast is a blessing to you, feel free to share it with others. As I know if it's been a blessing to you, then it'll be a blessing to them as well. Well, we're going to go into Revelation chapter 1, picking it up in verse 19 today. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. the first chapter of the book of Revelation tonight. If you have your Bible, go ahead and be turning there. Revelation 1 and 19. This verse right here is the key to understanding the book of Revelation. If you understand this verse right here, it will simplify things and make it easier to understand. Revelation 1.19, the Bible says, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Those are the three categories in which the book of Revelation is broken up into. He said, Write the things which you have seen. That covers the vision that we've been studying now for the past month. Chapter 1. The things which are covers chapters 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and 3 are dealing strictly with the churches or the church age. Write the things which are. And then he said, write the things which shall be hereafter. Revelation chapter 4 through 22. These are the things which shall be hereafter. Hereafter what? Well, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, John said he heard a voice in heaven that said, Come up hither and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. Hereafter the church. Hereafter the church age. That is where we believe the rapture of the church will take place. This is where we are right now, ladies and gentlemen. Revelation chapter it's 2 and 3, and we're, ra- we're waiting for Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, the rapture of the church. That pretty much wraps up Revelation chapter 1. Now, before we get into chapter 2, I'm just wondering if someone may have a thought or a question as it pertains to the first chapter. All right, if all hearts and minds are clear on chapter 1, we'll move on to chapter 2. Now, before we begin a study on the churches, I want to take a few minutes tonight and just give an introduction to this. It covers chapters 2 and 3. We believe that these churches really... Existed. They were seven 
actual churches that existed there in Asia Minor. The Lord called these churches out by name. There were issues there that needed to be addressed. The Lord called them out by name. He called them out in a specific order and addressed each one in a specific order. We believe that maybe they did not know, realize, and understand it at that time, but you and I today, the church having been in existence now for some 1980 years, we can look back in church history and we can say, hey, what the Lord said to the church at Ephesus covers this particular time period and this particular time period and so on and so forth. These seven churches, when we look back in our church history, represents a certain time period in church history. But now, we shouldn't just limit it to that. Although the Lord called a certain name, and we can look back in church history and say, well, this applies to this time and that time, we all need to realize, recognize, and understand that all the churches read these letters. Although it was addressed to Ephesus, the church at Thyatira saw what the Lord had to say to the church at Ephesus. So it applies to all churches for all of time, okay? So the Lord covered his bases, if you will. However you want to look at it, all three would be correct. Now, these letters that the Lord wrote to the churches contains seven parts. Seven parts. First of all, the name of the church is given. Secondly, Jesus is identified as the speaker. Thirdly, Information is given according to his divine knowledge. Fourthly, he gives a verdict. Number five, he gives a command. Number six, he gives an exhortation. Number seven, he announces a reward that will be given to the overcomer. Each letter contains each one of these particular attributes, and I want to go over them tonight, take a look at them. First of all, he calls the name of each church to the angel of the church of. The Lord addresses the pastor first, and then the church. It is the responsibility of the pastor to seek the Lord. For the message. The Lord gives the pastor the message. And the pastor is to give that message to the church. That's the way it's laid out here in the book of Revelation. God gave it to John. Then John gave it to the pastors of the churches. And when we read some of these things. I'm glad I want the one to have to deliver that. Because I'm sure it didn't set too well. 
But the Lord gives a message sometimes that's not popular. It's not going to be accepted. And at times, as we see here in the book of Revelation, names are called out. The Lord called out the name of the church, and at times he called out the names of individuals in that church. So there was absolutely no mistake about it, none whatsoever. Can you imagine (laughs) being in one of these churches and the Lord called out your name as being one of those that was causing trouble? How would you feel? I'm sure the preacher wouldn't be very popular. If it was going on this day and age, he'd be kicked out the door. This day and age, calling names is unacceptable. It's frowned upon. Well, you shouldn't call names. Jesus did it. Maybe Jesus should have went to school and took up how to prepare a sermon because they teach you that in how to prepare a sermon. Don't call names. Don't say anything too negative because that might offend some people. But see, Jesus didn't know that, see. So we're just going to have to overlook that. We know more about it today than Jesus did, right? This brings me to a question now. Jesus called names and got very specific about some things. Should we? I want you to think about it. Jesus called names. He called the name of the church and he called folks in the church. There were problems that needed to be addressed. And folks, I'm going to tell you, there's problems today that need to be addressed. And if there's folks in the church causing problems, it needs to be called on the spot. If it's done public... Out in the open, it needs to be addressed and dealt with in public. But now, if you and someone in the church, you have a little disagreement or something, you and him or her or whoever, you and your brother, you need to work it out. Go to that brother, go to that sister, y'all try to work it out. There's no need in bringing it before the church and making a big to-do over it. Try to work it out. But when something is said or done wrong, and let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, we have a guest preacher to come in here for revival or whatever. And he stands behind the pulpit and he plainly, flat out says something that is unscriptural. It is up to me, the pastor, to call his number on it. To stand up and say, hey, that's not right. But now how much of that goes on in churches today? Very little. Very little. 
Now, I know there are some people that will tell you, yes, Jesus called names, but he was Jesus and you ain't. But Jesus gave the message to the preacher to give to the people. And that preacher had to read off the names as they were given to. Let's take a look at some of this. Look at Revelation 2 and verse 6. Revelation 2 verse 6. Speaking to the church at Ephesus. But this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He called out this group of people, the Nicolaitans. Look down at verse 9, Revelation 2 and 9, at the church at Smyrna. He said, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews. And are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Calls it flat out. Group of Jews in that church. They knew who they were. (laughs) Revelation 2.13. To the church at Pergamos. He said, I know your works. And where thou dwellest. Even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name. And hast not denied my face. Even... In those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr. He calls the name of Antipas. Of course, this is a pat on the shoulder, I think, for Brother Antipas. And verse 15 there in Revelation chapter 2 also mentions that group of Nicolaitans again. Revelation 2 in verse 20. Revelation 2 and 20. Jesus is dealing with the church at Thyatira. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. Now... (laughs) How would you like it if the preacher called you out by name? I mean, how would you feel? Wouldn't that be awkward? He said, you suffer that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. Not only is the name mentioned, but the sin that they're involved with is mentioned as well. (laughs) So how would you like to have that job? So Jesus called names. Should we? This is where I think we really need to seek the Lord and make sure it's the Lord... Leading us in that particular direction. Like I said, if it's something that's done in public, then it needs to be addressed in public. All right. Enough of the name calling. Jesus is identified as the speaker. 
when he's addressing these churches. If you'll notice, the words of Christ are in red, if you've got a red letter edition. But also in this, in each case, some part of the vision of Christ seen in the first chapter is repeated, identifying himself as the speaker. These things saith he. And then a particular attribute of himself is given as listed there in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. Why did the Lord do that? Well, when we get into studying each one of these churches, I'm going to tell you why he revealed this particular attribute about himself. Just understand that it is the Lord giving this to John. And John's giving it to the people. The people had no right to get mad at John. (laughs) John was just a delivery boy. Don't get mad at your mailman because he brings you a $2,000 electric bill, all right? He's just a delivery boy. And that's what the preacher is. I'm just a delivery boy. If you don't like something that's said, go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to try my best to pray over, and especially if it's something real sticky. Lord, you know I don't want to say that. All right. The third thing in each one of these letters, we see information that is given according to the Lord's divine knowledge. Each letter to the church contains that phrase, I know thy works. The Lord knows. Although the outward appearance of the church, it looks like everything's going great. But the Lord's got divine knowledge. He knows the inside scoop. He knows what is really going on. And he is the faithful and true witness. And a witness is one that gives testimony of what he has seen. And the Lord is going to give a true testimony of what's going on in the church. He's got divine knowledge. And in each one of these churches, not only does he deal with positive things, but he deals with negative things. And in two of the churches, Sardis and Laodicea, Jesus only had negative things to say. So this thing of a preacher preaching negative It's going to turn people off, and we shouldn't do that because it's not popular. Hey, we need to tell it like it is and shell it right on down. If it's negative, that's going to have to be fine. If it's positive, well, that's just fine too. But the Lord dealt with the problems in the church. He called them out. He called the names. If there's a problem, we need to nip it in the bud. And that's what the Lord did. Of course, he's got divine knowledge now. (laughs) All right. 
Jesus gives a verdict in these letters to the churches. After the Lord assesses each church, he pronounces a verdict with the words, if you'll look there in Revelation 2 and verse 4, to the church at Ephesus, the Lord's verdict was, Thou hast left thy first love. To the church at Sardis, Revelation 3 and verse 1, the Lord's verdict was, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. He just come flat out and told them, Y'all dead church. <laughs> that don't set too well. That's what he said. The Lord's verdict sets before the church that which is truly right and wrong. And this is very deceptive because we look at ourselves and we judge ourselves by our brother or our sister and we think, well, everything is okay. But the Lord plainly comes right out and tells us what our true condition is. Church at Laodicea, he said, you're poor, miserable, blind, and naked. But yet they said, we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. All right. The Lord gives a command to each one of these churches, which further exposes the problems that were in the churches, but also gives the solution to the problem. To the church at Ephesus, Revelation 2 and verse 5, the Lord said, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. The Lord gives the solution. To the problem. To the church at Pergamos, Revelation 2 and verse 16. The Lord said, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In both of these instances, the Lord said, You do this or else. You do what I tell you to do or else. Or else what? Judgment. All right, in each one of these letters, the Lord gives an exhortation. And that exhortation is the exact same exhortation to all seven churches, whether what he had to say to the church was all positive or all negative or a combination of positive and negative. The Lord had the same word of exhortation to every church, Revelation 2 and 7. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 2 verse 11. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 2.17. He that has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 2.29. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Revelation 3 and verse 6. He that has an ear, let him hear. I think you're starting to get the picture. The Lord wants us to wake up and hear what he's saying. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. It is up to you and I as a Christian, as a child of God, to be at work on our spiritual growth. And to place ourselves in an environment that is conducive to the voice of the Spirit. Paul said, I die daily. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's not I, but Christ that is living in me. And I'm afraid too many times the flesh is so loud, it drowns out the voice of the Spirit. And that's the reason why the Lord had to say to each one of His churches, He that has an ear, let him hear. Although the voice of the Lord is loud and distinct as a trumpet, it's only as loud as the environment that it's in. If you're in a noisy environment, you've allowed too much of the world, the flesh, the devil, into your life. It becomes so loud that you can't hear His voice. And we must, as the Lord points out things in our lives, chop it off. And it becomes a little bit easier and a little bit easier to hear His voice. He said it seven times to seven churches, the same exhortation. And the last thing the Lord dealt with, he announces what reward will be given to the overcomer. Now, this part of the letter given to each one of the churches is the most metaphorical and symbolic of all. And what he says to the overcomer correlates with Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Let me give you an example. Take a look at Revelation 2 and 7. Revelation 2 and 7. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The tree of life is parallel with Revelation 22 in verse 2. Flip over there and take a look at that. Revelation 22 and verse 2. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. 
the tree of life. Take a look at Revelation 2, verse 11. Revelation 2, verse 11. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. It correlates with Revelation 21, verse 4. Flip over there. Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things has passed away. And what a day that's going to be. The former things. No more pain. No more sickness. No more sorrows. No more goodbyes. It's the reward that the Lord has for those of us that are overcomers. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are an overcomer. For they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes and cleanses your sins away. And when you stand before the Lord one day, he sees the blood of his son Jesus and not your sin. And he said way back there in the Old Testament, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.